Kids, you can head out uh, to children's worship. Uh, so, um, about 1,500 years ago, uh, the church uh, on the Sunday after uh, Pentecost uh, looked for a way to emphasize uh, the truth uh, that the church um, uh, has testified to and uh, that the scriptures have testified to and that indeed that God has testified to that the God that we worship uh, as Christians is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this Sunday for uh, uh, many, many, many centuries was designated as uh, a Trinity Sunday. Uh, it makes sense, follows right after Pentecost, and so it's important for us uh, to be reminded of that. Now, one of the things, uh, one of the things that's true about that is uh, probably for most of you, you could, you could probably tell me what the Trinity is. You could, you know, you can read that it means God, uh, one God, and three persons. Uh, but it's also challenging to to really explain that, isn't it? Right? You know, you could do like, uh, you know, with, with little kids when they're like, they don't get it. You know, when a six-year-old comes to you and says, you know, explain the Trinity to me. And you can, you know, do like, well, it's like an egg. You know, it has a shell, it has a yolk, and it has a white, you know. That's three things in one thing, which is a terrible illustration. But if it gets them to go back out and, and play, that's, uh, that's not all bad. But uh, uh, the, the, fact, the fact of the matter is it is, um, uh, it, is a, it is a challenging thing, and yet the Scriptures are very clear to us uh, about uh, how that works and, and why that is. And so uh, today we're going to look at this text from John chapter 16 where uh, Jesus is uh, speaking with his disciples And he, uh, as the son, speaks to them about the ministry of the spirit and speaks to them about the ministry of the father in that as well. And so uh, it's a good text for us uh, to read this morning and one for us uh, uh, to spend our time thinking about. So John 16, verses 12 through 15. But before I read that, let let me pray. Lord, we confess that the Trinity is uh, a difficult thing for us to understand, and yet you are clear and your a description of yourself and your revelation of yourself, that that uh, is who you are. And so I pray that you would help us today. I uh, pray that you would encourage us by this today. And I pray that you would strengthen uh, our faith, uh, that you are with us and that you have not left us alone. So help us with that today, we pray uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So John sixteen twelve to 15, this is uh, the word of God. We should hear it. And respond to it as such this morning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, For about 90% of uh, the life of this congregation, uh, what we have done is we uh, typically on Sunday mornings 
uh, I like to preach through books. And, and the reason why I like to preach through books is it gives a discipline uh, and you have, to, you have to preach what's next in, in the text, right? So um, we're, doing, we're taking a break from that this year and we're going through the, the, through the lectionary. And I have to say that uh, this text that we're to today is not one I would cho- have chosen when I was thinking about uh, what uh, to do because, uh, f- frankly, what Jesus is saying here is, uh, I am leaving and uh, which, uh, uh, but don't worry about that, disciples. Uh, I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in relationship with me and the Father, and uh, all three of us are together in this, and he will communicate to you and encourage you and help you uh, to do what you need to do, and he will reveal to you uh, how to uh, teach and preach and minister and, and all of those things, and, and, and what uh, what what you know, is uh, about to, uh, to to happen, he will help you with all of that. So really, frankly, that's what the text says. So let's go straight to communion, right? Uh, uh, because, cause the, but the, the, the fact of the matter is what, what happens uh, in us uh, whenever we do this, and what I want to take this text as an opportunity today is to dig a little deeper into that. Right, and to think a little, a little uh, uh, harder about this, because we're going to talk about uh, the Trinity, we're going to talk about why the Trinity, and we're going to talk about how this uh, uh, impacts us and why uh, God reveals Himself to us uh, in this way. Um, but I also want you to walk through with me this morning a little bit about how to read the Bible, how the Spirit helps us take what is the information in the Bible and actually uh, make it uh, alive uh, in our own lives and to help us to kind of unpack it. Because one of the things that happens is, and this is typical of us because we live in the age of Google, right? And in the age of Google, you know, we have lots of information. Information's everywhere, everywhere. Uh, this week I was, uh, I was in my uh, gym and these two guys were about to come to blows uh, over uh, who had the most NBA championships. And I'm thinking, you know, calm down, get out your phone. They both had their phones. And I'm like, Google it, and we can settle this argument, and the rest of us can get on about our day, and we don't have to worry about, you know, the police having to show up here because you guys are going to kill each other over this, right? So, so Google is full of lots of innocuous information. Most of you don't even know what the NBA is, Right? Uh, but it obviously mattered a lot to these guys, and they were very, 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 very concerned about that, right? So, so we live in a day and age where there's plenty, uh, uh, almost too much information. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, for for many of us, you know, we 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 like that. We we like having the information because we think the information that we choose to follow after the data we choose to get, it's useful to us, right? But the fact of the matter is, you know, the Bible comes to us and, and it, uh, declares some things that are true to us uh, that uh, by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, it requires us to think a little bit. And it requires us to dig in a little bit. And it requires us to uh, uh, kind of patiently uh, absorb, take in uh, what it is that God is saying to us uh, through the Scriptures. And so for many of us, that's just too hard, you know. 
and, and, and for many of us, we just, we'd rather not do that because if you, if you can't tell me in the first 30 seconds after reading a verse to me in the scriptures how this is going to give me my best life now, then I'm not interested. I'll go find, you know, my own kind of pragmatic stuff here that makes, you know, makes, makes sense to me. So what we have here is, is, is a, an opportunity for us to think a little bit more deeply about the Scriptures and how the Holy Spirit might actually use the Bible in your life to transform you. So what I want you to do is, when you, when you think about this text, I came across this quote this week from uh, a guy, Brian Chapel. He's a, he's a pastor in our, uh, in our denomination, and he's writing to preachers here, but this, is, this is actually could be true of anybody who reads the Bible, Okay. So we should not just explain or seek to have the information explained in the text, but also the burden of the text. That is, why was this written? That's a great question. And that is, that is something that we, we tend probably not to do. We, we never ask the question like, why did God think this was important for me to know? Why does God think that this information right here matters? What does God choose in all of the millions of things that he could reveal about himself and about us and about the world and, and about history and all those things? Why did he choose this and not some other things, right? So why was this written? What was the situation that was going on at the time that it was written, right? Uh, in particular, what was the struggle of God's people in that moment, right? The Holy Spirit did not just say, here's some random information you ought to know, <laughs> right? There was something going on that required the writing of that text, right? And so that is a, that's an important uh, place for us. Anytime we look at the Bible, anytime we read a part of it, we have to ask the question, you know, God's very purposeful. You know, he does not willy-nilly throw an information out there at us. He has a purpose and why he tells us what he tells us, the order in which he tells us those things. And, and the, and, and, and it, we should take from that that God feels like this information, this situation that we've read here, is something that's important for me and it's something that I need to uh, uh, take in, something that I need to absorb, something that, that needs to have its impact in my life, right? So we should ask, what is the context of the text? What's going on? Why, why did you write this? And, and why is it that the Holy Spirit thinks, it's, thinks uh, I need to process this? And so how are we like the people who are struggling in this, and how is their struggle our struggle, right? Now, here's, here's the thing. When you, when you just in, read this text here, you might, you might not understand what the context is. Uh, John uh, is uh, very interesting in the way in which he uh, gives us the gospel and the way in which he talks to us about the final days of Jesus' life. Uh, the last, uh, the, he, he extends a very long period of time uh, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, where he washes their feet. Uh, the other gospel writers tell us that that he uh, instituted the Lord's Supper. But John includes uh, in, in that period of time a lot of teaching, where Jesus is being very kind, very gentle, very patient uh, with his disciples to tell them what is about to happen, right? Um, he Jesus is about to be betrayed, tried, and crucified. He knows that. They don't know that but he knows that. And so he's being very kind to prepare them for that because their world is about to get undone. They're completely unprepared for this. Now, Jesus has been trying to tell them for a while, this is what's going to happen. 
Uh, but they are unable to process that. They are unable to, to understand that. He is about, after he's de- uh, killed, he's about to be raised from the dead, appear to his followers a number of times, and then ascend to heaven, right? So all of this, stuff, they're, they're in a period of transition. All of these things are, are changing. The ground underneath their feet is about to, to be undone. And then all of this is in the context of them being in the upper room where he has just instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, you know, I know, I know how many of us think about the Lord's Supper. You like, many of you anyway, like a Lord's Supper uh, celebration, just very quiet, very peaceful, very reverent, right? Which is awesome. I'm glad you like that. The fact is, the very first Lord's Supper was a train wreck. There's arguing, uncertainty. Jesus, don't say that. Do you like him better than me? Who's going to betray you? What? Is it me? You know, there's, there's all kinds of, 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 of crazy things that are going on there. And yet Jesus in the, is in the midst of this trying to comfort his disciples, trying to alert them to what is happening. Not so that when the hard things come, they can just sail through them. But what Jesus knows is that after all of these events, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, they'll be able to look back on these things and say, oh, that's what was going on. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us, that he was the Lamb of God. Jesus was trying to tell us that he was going to die to make atonement for our sins, that the Father would raise him on the third day and that he would pour out upon us the Holy Spirit, right? Now, another thing that you have to understand about this, not only are the disciples' world about to be uh, overturned because of the fact that Jesus, the person that they've kind of uh, tied their lives to for the last three years, is about to be killed, these men had been schooled all their lives in the Old Testament doctrine of God. And the Old Testament doctrine of God is summarized uh, in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is your God. The Lord our God is one. And now all of a sudden, Jesus is talking to them as, as, as if there's a father, he's the son, and there's a Holy Spirit. Now we, we, we're used to that, right? But the fact of the matter is, that is, that's like, whoa, 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 what's happening here? Things are shifting. Help us understand this, right? That, that Jesus is maintaining that there's one God, but this one God is not just one, one, one person, but this is one God in three persons. And that there's something profound about coming to grips with that. Now, now I, we'll, we'll see in a few minutes, but the, the fact is that this was alluded to over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But Jesus is declaring it in a very clear way to his disciples that this is the nature of God, right? And so, again, again, here the disciples are. Everything that they had thought, everything the way they had thought about God is being challenged and, and being changed. Now, my guess is, for many of you, you don't think about God being a trinity either. Right? For the most part, when you think about, when I were, if I were to ask you, what's your conception of God? You would come up with some, you know, description of uh, probably an old guy, not unlike the Wizard of Oz, who's, you know, uh, turning dials and making things happen in the world, right? Or... Or maybe maybe you think of Jesus, you know, the some some guy who is has a beard and wears white robes and emanates 
light from his skin or something like that. Or, and then the Holy Spirit is just like, yeah, right? So here we are with all the testimony of the Scriptures and the witness of the Scriptures, and even we struggle to understand, to appreciate, and to uh, incorporate in our hearts and lives the fact that this God that we worship is revealed to us in his word as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, right? So, so what Jesus is doing here is he is preparing his disciples so that they will understand and their, under, their understanding of who he is and of the nature of God and his work in the world will be deepened. And he's also trying to comfort them and prepare them for uh, uh, the fact that he, at least bodily, is about to be removed from them. So the verses leading up to the verses I read to you this morning are this. Jesus is speaking here, and he said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Every, this is a very disrupted and a, a, a very confusing time for the disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. That sounds, that's, that sounds pretty crazy, right? I mean, can you just imagine the disciples? They, they, you know, the helper, who are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, how are we going to make it? How are we going to do this with, with you? And yet you're telling us that it is better for us. It is better for us, Jesus, that, that you go, you die, you get raised again, and then you ascend into heaven, and then you send the Holy Spirit to us, that that is better for us than you being here bodily present with us all the time, right? Jesus goes on to say, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, and you'll see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And then he goes right in to say, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them, right? So here's, here's the thing that we have to see about that. You hear these words where Jesus says, it is better, it is to be preferred that I go and send the Holy Spirit. Now, why would that be better? Well, I can give you the proof of why it was better. Jesus had a profound ministry, no doubt, right? And, and he, you know, where would we be without the fact that the Son of God came in the flesh, lived our life, taught us, opened up to us, uh, the, the truth of God, the truth of our sin, uh, the truth of his, his atoning work for us, uh, that he did that work and that he ascended into heaven. What a profound thing, right? But the fact is, when Jesus died, how many followers did he have? At most, 120 gathered together there at Pentecost, right? Now, 120. Believe it or not, that's actually bigger than the average size of a church in America. Did you know that? The average size of a church in America is about 90 to 100. Did you know that? Which tells you, if you look across this room, uh, there's a lot of tiny churches in America, a lot of tiny ones, little ones, 
I grew up in one that 35 was an awesome Sunday. You know, when your church is just an extended small group, it changes the way, it changes the way you look at, at church. But now, look, as a result of Jesus ascending into heaven and sending the Spirit, there are Christians everywhere. Something profound has happened there. They, you know, the fact is, outside of the, the uh, brief period of time where Jesus spent some time uh, in Egypt, he didn't travel very far from where, right there in, in uh, Palestine. And yet, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gospel has gone everywhere, right? And so the, so the, the reality, what we have to, to, to see here is that, that Jesus is preparing his disciples for something profound, something that they are not, uh, uh, that they, they themselves can't expect that he will empower them and enable them to proclaim the truth of the gospel all over the world and that as you read at the end of the book of Acts, that the, through their ministry, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the world's going to be turned upside down, right? So next slide. So why is it then, why do these things matter? Why does it matter to us? Why can't I just have my relationship with Jesus and occasionally cry out to the Father uh, and have the Holy Spirit lurking somewhere in the background and just leave it at that, right? Why, why, why does this matter? Well, first of all, it matters because of this, that the full revelation that God is triune, three in one, is the truth. And listen, I'm going to show you a number of ways this has practical value in our lives, but I'm here to tell you something that you need to, to, to think on today. Whether it has any practical value to you or not, in the end, doesn't matter because it's true. It's just true. And, and truth, in and of itself, to know the truth is something that is profoundly valuable to us, right? The Bible tells us, Jesus reveals to us the fact that the nature of God is that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that, that is so uh, uh, such a, a key thing for us. The fact is, that in and of itself is enough because Jesus uh, revealed this to us, the Scriptures revealed this to us, that we should believe it. It's the truth, right? Secondly, well, the other thing that we get from this is that, that all of the Godhead is at work in creation and redemption. When you open the Bible and you read in Genesis 1, you see God is there. In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth. And the Spirit of God is brooding, hovering over the chaos that is, is there before creation. There's the Spirit of God. We hear God say, let us make, right? And so, so at the very beginning, one of the things that we see is that all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are engaged and involved in creation. But we also see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are engaged and involved in our redemption as well. That, that the work of God, uh, uh, that the, the, all three persons of the Trinity are engaged and involved with us, right? And that that is something that is uh, uh, so profound for us, right? Secondly, all of God loves us. God the Father loves you. God the Son loves you. And God the Holy Spirit loves you. Now, now one of the things that I think happens to us very often, and I hear this from people all the time, it is, it, it's Father's Day. And so some of you uh, are celebrating the fact that you had great dads. Maybe you're missing them. Uh, some of you today are uh, thinking about what a lousy dad you had. 
right? And some of you might even be thinking that you're a lousy dad. Well, the fact is, the the truth of the matter is, um, all of us can carry around in our minds and uh, uh, what a, a perfect father would be. Well, God the Father is better than that. And so we can kind of warm up to the fact that, yeah, that seems personal, that seems relational. We hear about Jesus. We have the Gospels. We see him walking the earth, touching people, crying, uh, engaging with people. And so we have this sense that, okay, I get the son. There's the father. You know, I know what fathers do. I know what sons are. And I get a sense that he's a real person too. But then when it comes to the Holy Spirit, one of the things I hear people say to me all the time is when they talk about the Holy Spirit, they say it. You don't even say that about your cat. Right? You call your cat he or she, right? In some ways, our cats are more uh, personal to us than the Holy Spirit is. Right? But the Holy Spirit is is a, a, a person just as the Father is, just as the Son is. And he is at work in and through and for us. And he is taking these things from the Father, from the Son, and he is applying them in our lives and at work in us to reassure us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to press upon us the truth, to convict us of sin, to comfort us. And so there's, there's never a time or never a, a place where you can't say that all of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is engaged in loving you. Now, I get criticism periodically from folks, and it's shocking, but I do. And one of the things that people say is, why do you always pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And why do you always use the same benediction at the end of the service? Well, not because I'm lazy, although I am lazy. Uh, I don't do that because I'm lazy. I do that because I want you to... uh, One of the things that I know is true is... Uh, that the people who preach before you and the people who pray before you and the people who serve on this stage every week are sinners and they make mistakes. And they say things that are unclear. And then frankly, truth be told, they say things sometimes that just aren't true. Not because they're trying to mislead, but because they're weak and... uh, We need help. But I know, I know this. When I stand before you and I take that bread and I take that cup and I say, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, I might have blown the sermon, but I know that's true. And when I say, receive your father's blessing, the love of God, the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, and the peace of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore, I know that's true. Okay, and I know that you can walk out of here today hearing in your ears and you need to hear it every week because you forget it. I forget it. That all of God is engaged with all of you. Right. And so so the fact is that is something that is 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 profoundly uh, uh, necessary for us. Right. Uh, to grapple with uh, and to come to grips with and to see the magnitude of the love of God for us. 
Next, the basis of all relationships come from the fact that God is a trinity. One of the things, if God was just one entity, right? If there's just, if there's just one God, no persons, no, no, no Father, no Son, no Holy Spirit, just God, then the fact is it would be hard for us to understand exactly the nature of relationships. But because God comes to us, because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, existing eternally in a perfect, perfect loving, joyful relationship, we created in his image have a basis now to understand what relationships are supposed to look like. That, that the joy of being known and knowing, the joy of loving and being loved is, is founded not in us, that we're out here trying to scrap around and try to make it happen. But the fact is that, that those things are rooted in the very being of God. And this God who loves us, who atoned for our sins, who is redeeming us, created us to be this, like this, created us to be like him, and created us to be in relationship with one another, to know one another, to be known by one another, and to love one another. That's the very foundation of, of our relationship. So we're not left on our own to try to figure out what this looks like. God actually is demonstrating that to us in, in the submission and the love and the joy and, and the uh, work that goes on within the, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit cooperating lovingly to see to it that we get redeemed for his glory. Lastly, God has not left us alone. And that is so important because the disciples, you and I, know when you are grieving, when you are broken, when you are sick, and you are sad, and you are frustrated by unfulfilled desires, Jesus, I keep asking you to do this. When are you going to do it? That the very fact that there is a Holy Spirit alive in me, at work in me, uh, knowing me, changing me, challenging me, giving me the energy to keep stepping forward and to keep breathing and to keep pursuing, to keep asking, to keep uh, following, to keep believing that he is strengthening and encouraging me to do that. It, th- there would be no hope for any of us. Uh, there would be no hope for any of us anywhere if the Holy Spirit were absent from us for a moment. Now, we just uh, bought for our son and daughter-in-law, who have a, a three-and-a-half-month-old, uh, and we gave it to him yesterday, a book on parenting. <laughs> Not because we need to correct them, because they don't need to be corrected. Uh, they, haven't, they haven't come to the point yet where they think, you know, they don't know what they're doing, because no parent knows what they're doing. Uh, uh, and, you know, in about 20 years, they'll figure that out. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right? So, so we, we, we bought them this book and it's got some great stuff in it. I think it's true. I think everything in the book is true. And, uh, as we handed it to them, I said, I want you to read this book. It's really helpful. And I want you to understand that you can do everything in this book perfectly. Yeah, we can, we are. And Unless the spirit of God is alive in this little boy, it won't matter. It won't matter in him. That's true in every relationship. Your spouse, your friend, your roommate, your boss, your employees, you can tell them the truth all day long, winsomely, wonderfully, carefully, 
clearly. And unless the Spirit of God takes that truth and changes that person, Now, here's the great news about that is, is that the Spirit is way more winsome, way more powerful, way more loving than we ever could be. And He is at work. But it ought to make us careful and quick to ask the Spirit to help us and to help the people we love to hear, to believe, and to be moved by the truth. We need the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Spirit in us and in the people we love, um, this, I mean, go downstairs and look at what's going on down there. I mean, people pour it out for Vacation Bible School. You should pray, not that kids will be wowed by the decorations, which I'm wowed by. Holy cow. I mean, wow, stunning. But that the truth that is spoken there. It's planted in hearts. Because only the Spirit plants it in the heart. Lastly, we know that the presence of God to his people is just as it was in the New Testament. And in fact, in in some ways, maybe in more profound ways. Now, you may be saying, how do we know that? There's some pretty crazy things that happened in the New Testament that was the Spirit's ministry, right? That's true. And those things were there primarily for for the foundation of the church, right? There needed to be some crazy things to happen to get people's attention, to wake them up, to give them the gift of repentance, to see that this Jesus was real and that his gospel was real. But the fact of the matter is you can see, if you have eyes to see, the work of the Spirit and, and the church and the people of God today. And you see it in two ways. The first one, less important uh, than uh, than the other one, but the one that we are most attracted to, and that is the Spirit gives gifts. Our culture, whether you're a Christian or not, worships the gifted. How do I know that? Because gifted people get away with terrible things because they're gifted, right? So we worship that. And so, but the fact of the matter is, God, the, the Holy Spirit is still giving out gifts to people, and we see people do things, and we see people minister in ways, and we see things happen like that that is just profound to us, that, that is just stunning to us, that God could actually do that in and through a person, and that, that we, we, uh, we have uh, preachers that we like, teachers that we like, musicians that we like, we have, we have all sorts of writers like that, that, that God by his Holy Spirit, is at work in. He's given them these gifts, and these gifts are being used for his glory and for our good. And that's a great thing. So we can see that, and we can recognize that. But the more profound way that the Spirit is alive in people today is not so much by his gifts, but by his fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Gentleness, goodness, self-control. <laughs> um, when you start a church in a uh, middle school band room uh, in the West End of Richmond, people don't take you seriously. And maybe they shouldn't, you know, because it doesn't look like much. And it isn't. It's, it's hard. Uh, to know and uh, what's what's going on. So early on in the life of the church, 
you know, we were, we were struggling to make it. And what you need when you start a church is you need, you need people to do things. You don't need people with ideas because <laughs> you don't have the energy or the resources to handle many ideas. But you got a trailer you got to unload and you got speakers you got to move in and you got noses to wipe and that kind of stuff. And you got, you got chairs to move around and you got to, you know, you got all of that kind of stuff that you got to do week in and week out. So one day early on in the life of the church, I was meeting with some folks. Kevin and I were together. We were meeting with some folks uh, who were idea people. And, uh, uh, and their ideas were so important that we were sinning if we didn't implement their ideas. And in fact, the, the, the heated discussion in the room got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then, uh, you know, uh, I prayed and we left. So we get in the car and Kevin looks over at me. And he can, I guess he could tell from my body language or from the fact that, you know, he could take my pulse and my temple that uh, I was a little discouraged because I was thinking, you know, what am I even doing? This is the dumbest thing ever. Why did I ever think I could do this? Worse than that, why do I want to do this? Why do I have to put up with this? That's what I'm thinking. And so he looks at me and says, are you discouraged? And I'm like, well, that's one of the things I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of them. Yeah. That you, could, you could certainly use that word. And he said, well, I just want to tell you something. I hope this helps you. And I'm like, oh, great. You know, more, more of this. And he said, well, you know, in that room today, uh, I saw that the spirit of God was in you by his fruit. When was the last time you saw that, said, said that to somebody? You saw some gentleness or some kindness or some self-control, some joy, some peace in another person who's under pressure, struggling. But you saw, you know what, you're a real Christian and the Holy Spirit of God is at work and alive in you. He is speaking through you. He is speaking into you. And he is changing you. And as he's changing you, let's pray that he changes other people. One of the ways that we know that the spirit works in and among us is we see it. And when we see it, we should call it out to encourage that work even further. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus. They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Let's use this prayer of confession. It comes from the Valley of Vision, and the the title of this uh, prayer is uh, the Spirit's work. So, let's would you join with me uh, in prayer now? O God, the Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, have mercy on me. When you first hovered over chaos, order came to birth, beauty robed the world, and fruitfulness sprang forth. I pray that you move upon my disordered heart, take away the sickness of ungodly desires and hateful lusts. 
Lift the mist and darkness of unbelief. Brighten my soul with the pure light of truth. Make it fragrant as the garden of paradise, rich with every goodly fruit, beautiful with heavenly grace. Show the blessings of Christ to my soul. Through you may I daily learn more of his love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, and beauty. Lead me to the cross and show me his wounds. Help me to find in his death the reality and immensity of his love. Increase my faith and the clear knowledge of atonement achieved, expiation completed, satisfaction made, guilt done away with, my debt paid, my sins forgiven, my person redeemed, my soul saved, hell vanquished, heaven opened, and eternity made mine. Believer, this is the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So as we've read on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it just as I do now ministering in his name and he gave it to his disciples. The gospel's not just information, although there are facts uh, to, be, to be believed. But as we've prayed today, we need the Holy Spirit uh, constantly, moment by moment, to help us know his love, grace, compassion, faithfulness, and beauty, to have a clear knowledge that Jesus has atoned for our sins and that satisfaction has been made, guilt done away with, our debt paid, our sins forgiven, our person redeemed, our soul saved, hell vanquished, heaven opened, and eternity made mine. Do you believe that? Because if you do, you believe that because the Spirit of God is alive in you. Do you struggle to believe that? Ask the Spirit of God to press that further on you. Are you struggling today to believe that for somebody you love? Ask the Spirit of God to be at work in their heart and their life and to be at work in you. We're about to declare the Lord's death until he comes. We're about to declare that he has atoned for our sins. We're about to declare that uh, by faith, worked in us by his spirit, we take him at his word. The Holy Spirit is alive and well at work in us. If you've come to that place in your spiritual life where you, you have no other place to go, no other hope, no other uh, uh, thing to believe about the way to be made right with God except through the work of Jesus Christ. You proclaim that to a body of believers somewhere. Then he welcomes you by the Spirit's power and energy and work in you to be renewed, to be restored and nourished to know that the gospel is true, that Jesus is for you and that he is changing shaping, making you more and more 
look like Jesus Christ every day. He's at work. Let's cry out to him to keep doing that work in us and in the ones that we love. Uh, as the elders and deacons come down front to assist me, let me remind you that the outer ring is wine, uh, the inner rings are grape juice, all the bread uh, is bread that is gluten-free.